0: The opioid crisis was already ravaging BC and then COVID-19 showed up. This has meant a disruption to drug supplies, more overdoses, and in Vancouver's downtown East Side, an increase in crime and social disorder. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 103. Vancouver Sun columnist Daphne Bramham joins me to talk about how the COVID-19 crisis has made things worse in the downtown East Side. What's driving an increase in overdose deaths in BC? and what solutions are being looked at to deal with the opioid epidemic. Don't forget you can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Daphne, what is going on in the East Side as of today, and what has COVID-19 meant for that
1: community? Well, there's nothing normal about what's happening on the downtown east side now. Um, it was bad before COVID. And just as COVID has made everybody's lives worse, COVID has been absolutely brutal for the downtown east side. Everything that is bad about the downtown east side, every possible little bump and wart that we saw before is magnified. So with COVID, many of the services have had to be shut down. Many of the safe places where homeless people could go during the day are no longer available because of um, social distancing. Mm -hmm. Many of the food services that used to be available aren't available. There's all of that. The drug supply has been disrupted. they brought in a safe supply, which is a bit of a double-edged sword. So they are getting a safe supply. But there's also more drugs on the downtown east side, coincidentally, because there's hydromorphone and there's methadone and suboxone and things that they're getting from their doctors. And then there's also the illicit supply, which they're also still accessing. So in addition to all of that, it is a neighborhood that traditionally has a high rate of violence against women. And as we know, violence against women in every part of our society globally has increased with covid
0: Now, when you say that a lot of the places where the homeless population in that area would normally go are closed because of social distancing measures, what has that meant for the community as a whole? Are there more people in parks or are they in yards or what's going on around that?
1: They're everywhere. The streets of the downtown east side are very crowded. Even though the provincial government has bought up rooms in hotels, unused hotel rooms that, that homeless people have been moved into, there's just so many people on the street. And It bleeds into all of the neighborhoods of Vancouver. There are many more people in every neighborhood now because they have nowhere to go. So during COVID early on, the libraries were closed. Libraries have been a place where homeless people have gone during the day. Their community centers have closed. Drop-in centers for women on the downtown east side have closed. Drop-in centers for all of us have closed. Community centers have closed. Some of them have reopened. But even places like a coffee shop, they've got limited places for people to sit and be inside. Mm -hmm. That's part of what you see down there. And then because we have an opioid crisis, which we've had for longer than we've had COVID, we've had a homelessness crisis. I mean, the housing prices in Vancouver continue to be high despite COVID. And we have COVID. And so it's an absolute disaster.
0: You mentioned the overdose crisis, and as you say, it's been around in BC for quite a while. 2019 itself a tragic year with more than 900 overdose deaths. 2020 was off to a terrible start. And how bad has it gotten since even the spring?
1: We hit a record in, I believe it was September, a record high number of deaths in the province Again, this this is not just in the downtown east side when we talk about the opioid overdose crisis. Mm -hmm. Many, many of the people who are dying, the majority of them are men from 19 to 54. And many of them are dying at home. And people are dying at home because, again, social distancing. The irony of COVID is that in some ways it makes the opioid crisis worse because all of the things we're supposed to do for COVID make it more difficult to be safe when you're a drug user.
0: Are there fewer people going to the safe consumption sites? Is that it? Or is it the drug supply that's posing a problem and, and leading to more overdoses?
1: There are fewer of the supervised consumption sites. They've had to cut back the number of people that they can see in a day. Mm-hmm. There have been some other ones open. But again, when people were asked initially to shelter in place, they weren't going there. The drug supply has to some extent dried up, or if if not dried up, it has certainly changed. So... Different people are cooking up the fentanyl supply, and so the drugs are much more deadly. And then, of course, one of the things with opioids is if you stop using opioids, when you go back to it, your tolerance is so much lower, and you are also at a greater risk of overdosing. Mm -hmm. On top of that, many of the paramedics have to take more time now. They have to wear full PPE all the time. So even having emergency responders responding... There are fewer people to respond when somebody overdoses, whether it's on the street or whether it's at home. And it does bear pointing out that most of the overdoses actually are happening inside.
0: Looking more specifically at the downtown east side, it's not just the drugs and overdose issues. As you mentioned, there's obviously violence and homelessness and poverty. What are we seeing really get exacerbated by COVID-19 and by the drugs
1: crisis? The violence. It's a much more violent place than it used to be. The downtown east side, years and years ago was where retired loggers would go. And so it had a big alcohol problem. But because this is a port city, we've always had problems with drugs like heroin and now fentanyl. Mm-hmm. And so as the supply dries up, as people become more desperate, they become more violent as well. I mean, what we're really seeing, you know, for those of us who live in nice, warm houses, I mean, our crisis during COVID was toilet paper. I mean, For people who live on the streets, their crisis was much more visceral than that. Their crisis was there was nowhere to go to the bathroom. The homeless shelters could take fewer people, even though they opened more shelters, there still wasn't enough. You know, our crisis was getting medical masks or getting masks to wear. Well, there weren't very many masks to be had. And desperation and hunger. And this is the neighborhood where Serial killer, Willie Picton. That's where he trolled and picked up his victims. And he killed 49 women. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a neighborhood that has had a lot of violence. But the thing is, we actually know what to do. We've had so many inquiries into what went wrong. We know what to do. We've known for almost two decades that um, we needed to have a comprehensive drug strategy for how to deal with this. It was passed by the vancouver city council it was supposedly endorsed or has been endorsed by the province and you know the various canadian governments that we've had various parties both federally and provincially they all say we need to do something but there's never been the money to do this so what we've ended up with is it depends on who you talk to whether our, the four pillars plan is one pillar or two pillars but it's certainly not four
0: you talk about violence on the street, and uh, you referenced Willie Picton. Is it a case of more violence against women, more sexual violence, or is there, you know, robberies or or fights? What kind of violence are we seeing on the streets?
1: There was a man who was found dead in the encampment, the current Strathcona encampment. When and before there was the Strathcona tent city, we had the Oppenheimer Park tent city, which was broken up after a court injunction. The police found weapons there. People were assaulted there, both men and women. There were all sorts of violent events there. Some of the homeless shelters, some of the the first responders are say that they're afraid to go into them because the level of violence is so high. People are just so volatile.
0: As you mentioned, a lot of this comes down to drug policy and drug strategy. And there's been a lot of talk about decriminalization of drugs. And that's a movement backed by the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police. But Vancouver's Mayor Kennedy Stewart wants to go even further. What is it that he sees as needs to happen to deal with some of the drug problems in Vancouver?
1: If I could back up a bit, I think that decriminalization can work. And it certainly has been shown to work in Portugal. It's something that the people of Oregon voted to uh, also bring in a similar decriminalization. But they voted on decriminalization, both in Portugal and in Oregon. They voted on decriminalization as part of a, of a strategy to use decriminalization to take away from ordinary people who fall into addiction, to take away their fear that they will end up in jail. So with decriminalization, what they did in Portugal and what they plan to do in Oregon is they decriminalize so that if you're found with an amount of drugs that is deemed for personal possession, you can be fined. Or you can go in Portugal before a commission for the dissuasion of drug use. And they work with you to find you the supports and services that you need to deal with whatever trauma or whatever problem has led you into addiction. So whether it's housing, whether it's marital problems, whether you don't have a job, they try and help you with that. And in Portugal, they even have up to two years of a residential program where if you agree, you can go away for two years to outside the city and you're retrained there and you get intensive counseling. And while you're in this rehabilitation program, your family back in the city, if you're the major breadwinner, their income is supported by the government. So what they have is this whole system, a wraparound system. If you're found with more drugs than personal possession, then you go through the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And what Oregon is proposing is very similar to that. That's the sort of thing that I believe, and I, and I many people in Vancouver believe, should happen here, including the people who came up with the Four Pillars Plan. But when someone like the mayor of Vancouver says, oh, we're just going to do decriminalization, the problem with that is that decriminalization as a standalone, it doesn't work. It just means that people don't go to jail. And... When we have so few treatment and recovery services, I've had addicts say to me, they wanted to get arrested because it was the only way they could get into detox. It was the only way they could get into some sort of treatment program. Mm -hmm. So if you just say decriminalization, as if somehow that's going to solve the problem, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I don't mean to suggest that Kennedy Stewart doesn't care about what's happening down there, but what we need from our leaders, whether they're local community leaders, like literally down in the downtown east side, we need them all to be demanding a full drug strategy so that we can deal with things like the trauma that people, residential school survivors, and the intergenerational trauma, and we need to deal with all of those things. That systemic racism, because we know it, we know what happens, and not just for Indigenous people, but for other people as well. Mm-hmm. Percentage-wise, they're four times more. People, uh, black Canadians on the, on the downtown east side than in the rest of the population in Vancouver. Yeah. Which makes no sense. We have to find ways to deal with all of that trauma and figure all of that stuff out. And how we do that, we can't just import Portugal. We have to figure out our own model because we don't have some of the things that Portugal has. We don't have free treatment. I mean, part of the reason we have so many addicts that aren't in treatment is because they can't afford to be in treatment. Because the only people who get government paid for treatment, you have to be on welfare. So you have to essentially be almost homeless before you're going to get your treatment paid for. Or if you're working for a company like ours, we have an employee benefit program. And so we would get our treatment paid for. But there's this vast swath of people in the middle who are never going to get their treatment paid for if they need residential care.
0: The idea of a more broad-based drug strategy seems like something that would take time to develop. Are there any things that agencies, people on the ground are looking to see happen in the short term to help improve what's going on while governments get to coming up with a more comprehensive strategy?
1: We don't need more time. There have been so many studies done into this. People know what needs to be done. I mean, it would take a while to, to ramp it up what it really needs is money. And I mean, it sounds ridiculous, because lots has been written and lots has been said about how much money is going into the downtown east side every day into that one community. But the thing is that it does cost money to deal with addictions. Addictions is a very expensive disease to try and and unravel because it comes wrapped up in mental illness. And You know, one of the things with the harm reduction when we have naloxone and people who are overdosing are being revived with naloxone, every time that they get naloxone, they're getting brain injuries. The next thing we're going to see is an epidemic of brain injuries. Hmm. So until we start taking this seriously, until we start doing things, I mean, an obvious first step, given what's happening with the violence against women on the downtown east side, the obvious first step is to open up more safe spaces for women to be with their children. I mean, we've got children living down there too. We need safe spaces for them to go during COVID. We need safe spaces for them to be when they're in recovery, if they happen to go or or in treatment or retraining. Like we need to surround people with the services and we need to provide housing for them because this is a very expensive place to live
0: looking at downtown east side and the the safe consumption sites, as that is kind of one of the things that people point out when they talk about Vancouver's downtown east side, it was the first place to have a supervised consumption site in the country. There are many people who feel that the harm reduction measures there have saved lives and prevented what is already a tragic situation from becoming far worse. And there are others who feel that it's a failed model that's just kind of heaping misery on top of misery. Do you feel that this is debate that neither side is able to convince the other or people who are fighting for one set of beliefs over the other may have to concede that, yeah, like we realize that our position is failing.
1: Again, I'll go back to the four pillars. Four pillars did include harm reduction. It also included treatment. Mm-hmm. What we've seen is more money, time and effort has gone into harm reduction than has gone into the treatment side. And what has happened is too little money for the problem is being allocated one way. The the people who are not getting the money, it's hardened their positions. And most of the people who I know who are advocates for more money for treatment will tell you, we do need harm reduction to keep people alive. Yeah. But we need to have treatment money. And I don't think that the harm reduction people, at least most of the harm reduction people, the overwhelming majority of the harm reduction people, they say... We need money for treatment. It's a nuanced difference. There are some people on the harm reduction side who say the only time that an addict is going to get clean and become abstinent, if that's the goal, is if they want to do it. And many people don't want to be abstinent. And some people will never be abstinent. So I think we need to have leadership. That says, you know, you two sides, you actually need to just sit down in a room and you're going to have to work with each other. But we're going to give you both some money. But on the treatment side, all is not well there either. We've had poorly, terribly regulated treatment. Surrey, which is the second largest city in the Lower Mainland, soon to be bigger than Vancouver, they play whack a mole with recovery houses. Anybody that can rent a big house can set themselves up and call themselves a recovery house. Many of them don't have licensing, but they're just they're flop houses where they claim that they're doing addictions treatment. Mm-hmm. And so the, the province started moving a year ago to clean that up, but that's been a terrible mess. So these poor people who are homeless and addicted and on welfare, they're essentially having their welfare checks stolen and they're staying in these flop houses that are horrible with no treatment, no nothing, and they're barely even being fed there. There's a whole murky, nasty area of recovery as well that needs to be looked at.
0: Do you get the sense that the provincial government, now that John Horgan has a majority in the legislature, that there may be movement on it at the healthcare level, at the provincial level?
1: I think that there has been movement, certainly even as a minority government, the New Democrats were moving in that direction. They set up a ministry of mental health and addictions. They did continue what the Liberals had started, which was creating more housing as part of a housing first model, which again is controversial. And yes, they say they're committed to doing it, but we're talking a complete restructuring. We're talking about having to do a whole lot of things that are very expensive initially. But in the end, it's going to be cheaper for us. It's going to cause a great deal of disruption. It's going to be costly on top of what we're going to have to pay because of COVID. But I think very much like the situation for the long-term care homes, what COVID has done is shone a light on just how dreadful life is in Canada for homeless people. I mean, I'm old enough to remember a time when we didn't have food banks and a time that I didn't see beggars on the street, or you'd see very few homeless people in Canadian cities. Mm -hmm. The problem with addictions and mental health issues, though, is somebody said to me the other day, these aren't just hobos on the street. This isn't like after the depression that, you know, oh, the economy, you know, we had a war, they went to war, suddenly the economy boomed and then we didn't have hobos on the street anymore. That's not the kind of problem that we have now. It's not just that people can't get a job; it's that people have all of these other problems, and um, they're not getting the support and help that they need. Since we closed down the mental institutions and all of those things that we did from the '70s on, close the mental mental health mental institutions. We quit putting money into social housing. We deregulated. We opened up. Recovery and tr- recovery and treatment for addictions. We opened it up to the private sector. Mm-hmm. The housing prices have gone up. All of those things are contributing to this problem. And it's taken 50 years to get us to here. And it may take us 50 to get out. But honestly, if this isn't a tipping point, I think what we're going to see is, is a hollowing out of a city of world-class, what, what Vancouver likes to call itself. We're going to see the hollowing out of a world-class city. Yeah. We're going to see it go the way of some of those American cities that became so dangerous that working people would not live in that city anymore. We have to be very cautious that we don't become that.
0: It's a very complex issue, and I really appreciate your insight, Daphne. Thanks for your time. My pleasure. Ten Three is produced by Carson Jarama, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Daphne Bramham. More from her at VancouverSun.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge.